Our scripture lesson this evening is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1 and reading through verse 11, page 1,297 in the Pew Bible, page 1,297, Romans 5, beginning at verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. In conjunction with it, I invite you to look at the Heidelberg Catechism on page 881 in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal, page 881, Lord's Day 23, on the bottom of the second column and continuing on the next page. Lord's Day 23, question 59, but how does it help you now that you believe all this? that I am righteous in Christ before God and heir to life everlasting. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. What do you say? Why do you say that through faith alone you are righteous? Not because I please God, by the worthiness of my faith. For only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness are my righteousness before God. And I can receive this righteousness and make it my own in no other way than by faith alone. Beloved of the Lord, the Catechism asks the question, what good does it do to believe all this? Let's be clear that the question is not, what do, good does it do to have a faith? 
what good does it do to be a believer in something? That would be a very modern approach to the subject of faith. From time to time, I hear a public person uh, facing some crisis saying, uh, I wish that I, at, at a time like this, I wish that I had a faith, because uh, having a faith helps people. It uh, supposedly has therapeutic value, uh, and, uh, giving them uh, strength or stability or comfort in troubled times. And the modern approach is it, it doesn't matter so much what you believe, just that you believe something. Because if you believe something, that uh, it will give you some uh, inner peace and strength and, and comfort. Well, the, the catechism is not asking about the therapeutic effect of faith. It says, what good does it do to believe the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, the word gospel is not in the question. It says, what good does it do to believe all this? But what does the all this refer to? Well, it, it refers to the articles of the Apostles' Creed that have been expounded in the previous question and answers uh, of the Heidelberg Catechism that have, uh, were brought to a conclusion last Sunday evening in our study of the Catechism. Uh, for several weeks, we were taking the articles of the, of the Apostles' Creed uh, one at a time and exploring what they mean. And we were doing so not because the Apostles' Creed is an inspired document or the Catechism is an inspired document. They are not. But because they summarize for us the gospel. The gospel of God the Father and our creation. God the Son and our salvation. And God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. The Bible is full of uh, all that the God, God the Father has done for us. All that God the Son has done for us. And all that God the Holy Spirit have done for us. And uh, it is summarized for us in our confession and in uh, the uh, Apostles' Creed. And we have been looking at that. And now it says, what good? What good does it do to believe this, all this? What good does it do to believe the gospel? Now, the answer is both uh, simple and profound. One of the most important answers of the Catechism, in fact, one of the most fundamental truths of the Bible. By believing all this, by believing the gospel, I am righteous in Christ before God and made heir to everlasting life. Or in the words of Romans 5, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Let's consider first this evening our need to be at peace with God. Do we need to be at peace with God? You know, uh, uh, there's uh, many in the world today who <clears throat> think that this is something we can all just take for granted. To err is human, to forgive is divine. It's God's business to forgive people and that, uh, you know, uh, uh, what, what kind of God would he be if, if he takes offense at things that his creatures do? I mean, he is so great and mighty and holy. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's so high and lifted up. Does he even notice? Does he even notice that, that we do bad things? And if we do bad things, is he, does he really get all bent out of shape about it? Uh, what kind of God is he? 
Isn't he a benevolent God who smiles at us no matter what, laughs at our foibles and follies and says, oh, how cute when the way we do our little children when they stumble and fall and or whatever, do something silly or stupid. It's sometimes amusing, you know, and doesn't isn't God amused with us? Or people will say, well, if God is concerned, he, he certainly recognized that we mean well, we try hard, we, we do our best. That's got to that's got to count for something. Why do we need to be at peace with God? Well, we need to be at peace with God because he is a just judge. He is a just judge, the judge of all the earth. And uh, as a judge, he has to do what is right. If there is no absolute justice in the universe, then our situation is very grave, very grave indeed. If there is no absolute justice, no final justice, if there is no God who is the judge of all the earth and therefore no final justice, then all the wickedness, all the evil, all the bad things that have happened in this world will go unaddressed and they will go on forever and ever and ever. Oh, how we need a judge, a just judge, one who will punish evil and reward the good, who will put an end to all wickedness and rebellion. And we have such a God. If your conscience has not been uh, seared by the lies of this world and by other means, then you know that indeed we are not as good as we should be, that we do fall short of the mark, that the human heart is deceitful, We see it better in other people than we see it in ourselves. But do you really believe that you are so much different than all the rest of the human race whose evil is so evident to you? What what gives you the presumption to think that, that somehow you're any different than that? We're all born from the same seed the corrupted seed of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and the nut doesn't fall far from the tree. We are all born and conceived in sin and by nature hate God and our neighbor. There is none righteous, no, not one. Everyone knows that God is a judge, and that's why they are afraid of him. That's why they try to put him out of Mind. That's why they try to believe the lies of Satan, that uh, uh, he's not going to be concerned, that he'll be a benevolent uh, Santa Claus who may keep a list to see who's naughty and nice, but everybody gets presents regardless. No, they want to believe the lies. They want to put uh, the idea of a just judge out of mind. But down deep inside, when we come in contact with the true God, we know that indeed... We ought to be afraid of him. That often happens when people face a great crisis, perhaps 
given news of a terminal illness or uh, face a, a, a great uh, tragedy or calamity in their lives, financial, physical, emotional, whatever, where uh, everything in their life seems to fall apart or they are threatened by storms or earthquakes or fires, you know, then people think about God. And when they think about God, they become afraid. We need, we need to be right with God. We need to have peace with God. We need justification. And justification is what, what everybody is looking for in all the wrong places. Some people look for justification or vindication of their lives uh, by the work that they do. They say, look at all the work that I've done. Look at all the good that I've accomplished in the world. That has to count for something. That ought to, uh, you know, go on the scale of my life and all the work that I've done. Yeah, I've done some bad things, but on the scale, all my work, it's, it's, it's far outweighs the bad things. And so people look to their work and in the world, or they look to their wealth and say, I couldn't have gotten all this wealth if I was such a bad person. God wouldn't have let me get all this. Uh, uh, wealth is a sign of the blessing of God, is it not? Abraham, uh, God blessed Abraham, and Abraham was wealthy. God blessed Solomon, and he was one of the wealthiest persons in human history. Uh, wealth is a sign of the blessing of God, so I, I must be uh, okay with God. Or they, uh, some people uh, look for vindication in their children, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, I haven't made much of my life, but I gave my kids a good start, and, and they've made a, a success of their lives, and they're accomplishing great things, and, and so my, my life is vindicated through my children. Uh, many uh, who have uh, failed in one aspect of their lives uh, push their children too hard to, to succeed so that they can have some kind of vindication through their children. Some look for vindication or justification uh, through the uh, the praise that that people uh, give to them. Uh, you know, you you work at a company for so many years, and then they have a retirement dinner, and people get up on the podium and they say all sorts of good things about you, and they they give you a nice gift and so forth, and and you're tempted to rest on your laurels and say, uh, you know, the world recognizes this. Or some people look for justification in the fact that. Other people think the same as they do. You know, can I be wrong if, if 70 million other people uh, thought just like I did and acted just like I did? Uh, that must mean something, that so many millions of people agree with me and did the same thing that I did. That, that must mean that, that we're okay. You know, we, we look for vindication uh, in, uh, in the, that we're in step with the, with the wisdom of the age. You know, a lot of people are afraid, afraid to be out of step with whatever the political correct philosophy is and uh, are running to try to uh, catch up with what is politically correct in order to uh, gain acceptance and therefore justification or vindication for themselves. But in the end, there's only one justification that matters. And that's if God vindicates you, if God justifies you, if God declares you are in the right. Paul writes in Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who can be against us? He goes on to say, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. If God has justified you, it doesn't matter whether 
whether you can't point to your laurels or your wealth or your accomplishments or your children or the, the crowd. It, it doesn't matter what other people think of you. If God thinks well of you, that's enough. Paul had a lot of critics in his ministry years. He writes in 1 Corinthians 4, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. You know, he doesn't care what, what other people think of what he's done. He's not even sure he, he is in a position where he can judge himself correctly as to what he has done. There's only one thing that matters. What does God think? Because God holds our eternal destiny in the balance. Either eternal blessedness and joy, unimaginable or unspeakable misery, suffering and pain. All hangs on his judgments. We need to be made right with God. We don't need to be made right with ourselves or with the world or with anything else. What we need is to be right with God. And that happens through faith. Faith brings us what we need to be justified by God. Consider secondly what faith brings to those who believe the gospel. What we receive, what believers receive, is the perfect righteousness, satisfaction, and holiness of Christ. The perfect righteousness, the satisfaction, and the holiness of Christ. Now, when the Catechism talks about perfect righteousness, what's it talking about? Well, it's talking about the fact that, that in order for us to be accounted righteous in the sight of God, we have to have a perfect record of having always obeyed Every commandment, 100% perfectly. Now, you and I don't have that kind of record, but someone does. And that someone is Jesus Christ. And through faith, his perfect record of righteousness is credited to you. When Christ came into the world, one of the things he was concerned about was to fulfill all righteousness. He didn't need to be baptized by John the Baptist. But uh, for his own sake, but for the sake of the Mosaic Covenant, and for the sake of the ceremonies of the law, uh, anyone entering the priesthood had to be uh, anointed, had to be baptized. And so he, he went to John the Baptist to be baptized. And when John the Baptist says, I don't need to baptize you, he says, no, fulfill all righteousness. King's sons don't have to pay a tax, but Jesus said to Peter, you know, go get the coin and and pay for both of us because we want to fulfill all righteousness. He came into the world under the law, under the requirements of the law. And he kept all the commandments. And he kept them every day. And he kept them every moment of any, every day. And there was never a moment that he didn't keep all of the commandments of God. He is perfectly righteous. And that perfect righteousness becomes yours through faith. Catechism also speaks about satisfaction. That's referring to the requirement of the law regarding punishment. If you sin, you have to satisfy for that sin. You have to make up for it. You have to atone for it. That's 
making satisfaction, paying your, your, your debt to society. You know, you go to jail to, or pay a fine to pay your debt to society. That, that uh, clears you then when you pay your debt. And, and so Jesus made satisfaction for, with regard to the penalty of the law, not for himself. He, didn't, he never broke the law. He never incurred the penalty, but he paid the penalty. He paid it for others. And when you put your faith in Christ, then his perfect satisfaction is credited to you. And Christ was holy. Holy doesn't mean just he was good. That's, that's what righteousness is all about. Holiness is something different. Holiness is, is being separated unto God, set apart for God. What made the temple a holy place was that, that it was for God and for his service and his worship. You know, all the dishes in the temple were dedicated to being used in the ceremonies of the temple. And, and Mrs. Levi could not say to her, her husband, Mr. Levi, um, bring home some of the dishes from the temple tonight because we're having company and I don't have enough dishes of my own. And he would say, no, no, I can't do that. Those are holy. Those are set apart. They're set apart for the worship of God. They're, they have a Godward direction with regard to their use, and they may not be used for any common purpose. To live a holy life is to live a life dedicated to God, to serving Him. Jesus didn't just obeyed the, he didn't just obey the commandments. He obeyed the commandments as a way of offering His life up to God, of saying, "I love you, Father." And I delight to do your will. And I'm doing this in order to bring you glory. I'm not doing it for myself. I'm not doing it to please myself. I'm doing it to please you. That's a holy life. A life lived not for self, but lived for God. Saying, my, my life isn't my own to do with as I please. My life belongs to God and I, I offer it up to him. That's what you and I should be doing. That's what we try to do, but we, we fall down again and again. But Christ, He did it all the time. All the time, and He did it perfectly. His whole life was holy. His whole life was offered up as an act of worship to God. And that holiness is credited to you when you put your faith in Him. On the basis of the perfect righteousness and satisfaction and holiness being granted and credited to you, God now judges you as having been just as righteous and having satisfied for sin and having been just as holy. He credits that all to you and on that basis says, you are justified. You are declared righteous. You are declared good. Having been justified by faith, you have peace with God. He's not angry with you anymore. It's as if that righteousness and, and satisfaction and, and uh, holiness were a white robe. And uh, you were wearing a very dirty robe, all polluted with all kinds of filth and, and, and dirt. And uh, God takes off that dirty rags and puts on this beautiful white garment and now he sees you clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he deals with you now on that basis. 
He deals with you on that basis. In gratitude, of course, we try to to become like that, to gain a righteousness of our own. But as long as we're in this life, we will always sin. But but we can make a, a beginning. But that beginning that we make is never the basis. It's never the basis of our acceptance with God. It's only a thank offering offered to Him. The basis of our acceptance is the perfect righteousness, satisfaction, and holiness of God. Paul says also in Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Though my conscience may accuse me, though I I still feel guilty, there's no condemnation. And I needn't be afraid. Though often we do something bad and... uh, We're we're angry with ourselves, and we're ashamed to, to, to pray to God because we messed up again. And, and so we we stop praying to God. And we feel that we have no right to approach God until we can prove to ourselves that I'm really not that bad. And the only way I can prove to myself that I'm really not that bad is by not doing that sin again for a long time. And if I can not do that sin again for a long time, then I say, okay... Now I, now I can come into His presence again. That whole kind of thinking is all wrong. Your ground of acceptance with God is the perfect righteousness, satisfaction, and holiness of Jesus Christ, and you have that all the time. And therefore, when you need it the most, you ought to, when you need Him the most, you ought to go to Him and go boldly to His throne of grace in your time of need, knowing that He will receive you. Paul goes on in Romans 8 to say, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? You know, we condemn ourselves. And he says, don't do that. If God is justified, don't condemn yourself. If, it's, if God who justifies, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, indeed is interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you. Nothing in this life, including your sins, can separate you from the, from the love of God once you have been justified through faith and have peace with God. Notice how Paul goes in Romans 8 from justification and no condemnation or charge to ultimate victory and uh, uh, being more than conquerors and nothing separating us from God. Once you have justification, you know, then Everything else opens up, and nothing can stop you from becoming a conqueror. That's why uh, in the Catechism it says, uh, uh, what good does it do uh, to believe all this? That I am righteous in Christ before God and heir of eternal life. You know, it goes right from justification to eternal life. (laughs) If If I am justified, then everything else comes with it. Sanctification, glorification, new heavens, new earth, nothing will keep us away once God has justified us and we are justified by faith. What good does it do to 
believe all this, <laughs> you gain justification through faith. You know, in, in the book of Judges, in the Old Testament, the judges were not just people who decided right and wrong. The judges were those who went and led the people in battle to drive out the enemies and liberate the people. God is a judge in that kind of way. He's not just one who sits and bangs his gavel and says, okay, you're justified. No, he also gets off the bench and goes and does battle with our enemies so that we can go from justification to eternal life. And uh, he goes like a wedge before us, uh, plowing away all opposition, anything that would stand in the way. He removes. He's a perfect judge who brings us uh, total and complete salvation. We have many enemies in this world, and they often hurt us badly. But our judge is aware of that, and that's all part of his plan, and he has ruled in our favor, and he will save us. You have to ask yourself, is that worth anything to you? Do you want that, or are you more concerned with the latest version of the computer game that you have uh, become addicted to or the uh, the job that you're working that you hope to be able to accumulate a million dollars before you retire now where is your interest are are you all caught up in the things of this world or are you beginning to think about eternity and the world to come now the catechism wants to make clear how faith works it works not as a meritorious cause. It works as an instrument. We are, faith is the instrument by which we are made right with Christ, right, right with God, not the meritorious cause of why we are made right with God. Faith is like a rope thrown to a drowning person. Uh, the rope, if, if the person latches onto the rope and is pulled in, it's not the rope that saved them. It's the person who threw the rope. It's the person who pulled on the other end of the rope and, and brought the drowning person to shore. It's, it's the lifeguard that, that saved, you know, the one who, who, ha- who threw the rope. Well, faith is the rope. Faith is merely the instrument. All the power of salvation is in the one who threw the rope. All the, one is, all the power of salvation is in the one who draws the rope. We're saved by Christ because of his righteousness. It is through the instrument of faith. Faith is, a, is receiving God's gift of salvation with a believing heart. Believing you are a guilty sinner with no hope of self-redemption. Believing that only Christ's perfect work can Uh, satisfy God, trusting and resting on that perfect work, rejecting all self-justification and uh, all other forms of justification, accepting that gift, receiving that gift, accepting that gift with a believing heart, loving Him for what He has done and uh, showing your love by striving now to please Him. That's, That's the good that believing all this does. And, of course, this goes contrary to all human thinking that says, you know, we have to, to work for anything. Uh, all the religions of the world uh, teach 
as Saul of Tarsus once believed that it was his own credentials, his own qualifications, his own accomplishments that would save him. In one place he says, you know, I was a, a, a Jew, a, a Benjamin of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, born among the covenant people, circumcised on the eighth day, a Pharisee, zealous persecutor of blasphemers. You know, I, I, was, uh, I was God's man. And he put his trust in what he was doing. And he says, now that's all rubbish. That's all garbage. I, I don't want to trust in that anymore. I want to be found in Jesus Christ and in his righteousness and in that alone. We too have things like circumcise on the eighth day and uh, that sort of thing. We have uh, the, the ceremonies of uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And sometimes uh, people put uh, confidence in them saying, well, I, I must be a Christian because I was baptized or I must be a Christian because I'm received at the Lord's table. But you know, regarding circumcision, the Bible says regarding Abraham that it was a sign of his righteousness by faith. He, was, uh, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. Romans 4.11, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. Seal meaning a, a symbol, and a, seal, a symbol that it gives assurance. And that statement is, is very carefully crafted. It doesn't say he received a circumcision as a sign of righteousness, period, end of sentence, but of righteousness that he had by faith. Sign pointed him to the need for faith. And the same is true with regard to baptism. Baptism is a sign that we are that our sins are washed away through faith. The Lord's Supper is uh, a ceremony that reminds us that Christ's uh, broken body and shed blood were shed for our sins and we have forgiveness when we put our faith in his broken body and shed blood. The sacraments are a comfort to those who believe. We don't put our faith in them, but they are visible pictures of what Christ has done for us, and we put our faith in Christ. You know, this, this uh, whole lesson from the Catechism is, is a great relief, I hope, for many of you. It means that God loves you, just as much on your worst days as he does on your best days. He loves you just as much on your worst days as he does on your best days. Because even on your best days, you're not good enough for his love. But that's not why he loves you. He loves you on your bad days and your good days because you are clothed in the perfect righteousness, satisfaction, and holiness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see your bad days. He doesn't see your good days as a judge. As a father, he takes note of it and, and, and lovingly disciplines you. But he always loves you if you are in Christ. Hallelujah. Amen.